You may be seated, and as the band exits the stage, I would like to just simply read to you uh, the text uh, from which I'll preach in just a few moments. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. You guys may leave. Probably the one text you need more than anything else to make it through 2019. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? The body more than the clothes you put on it? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add one single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the unbelieving world runs after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And all of these things would be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day surely has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inspired book in which you have spoken your heart and mind from heaven to earth. Thank you for fingers that wrote it years ago at cost of life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you preserved it when men tried to burn it. And Lord, through the wonder of technology, page after page from Gutenberg on, the precious book of God was pressed through fine pages, leather bound, made its way all the way across the world and into our homes. Thank you for the book of God. Thank you that we know the mind of God and hear the wisdom of God. And Lord, today we long more than anything else to hear these precious drops of honey from the lips of Christ. We pray they will drop upon our soul today and unlock us from the chains of worry, the debilitating chains of hopelessness and fear. God set us free in 2019 to become a people who trust you that you do provide for food and clothing and drink. 
And if we will just seek our mind first on the kingdom of God, we will be a people who know peace that is better than food, clothing, and drink. Thank you that you're trustworthy. We're struggling with that today. We're struggling with that today. Many around the world, Lord, are struggling with that today. So help our brothers and sisters who are facing intense persecution, intense suffering. Help them to remember you are trustworthy. You are their heavenly Father. You have promised to clothe them and feed them. And in your time, you will. Help us to look with an eternal perspective on the promises of Christ, just as he did. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. It is no small thing that Jesus tells us not to worry. In fact, three times in ten verses here in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us a command, don't worry. He couldn't be more serious about it if you would be talking with him and listening to him in his Aramaic, and we, of course, get it in the Greek. You would understand the type of language he uses. He wants you to understand that to worry is to commit a high-level, grievous sin. So he says it three times, three different ways. Do not commit the sin of worry. The specific word that he uses on those three occasions as he breaks it down three different times in those ten verses is a word that basically means to choke. Or it could be used to, to pull in two different two directions so that your life is separated. You are literally pulled in two. You're severed. It, 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 it's translated a long time ago in our original uh, King James Version uh, to not overly think, um, which is a very poor translation because it's give no thought to, because then we sort of grew up thinking that we're not to overly think about things, and it sort of even looks like maybe it's a pro-lazy approach to life. When we talk about anxiety or worry, we're not talking about Jesus' advice of not addressing a problem that can be solved through hard thinking. That's a good thing. That's a responsible thing. But what he's talking about is giving yourself to thought so much that all of a sudden fear penetrates your psyche and so upsets the soul of your life that the resulting condition is one of depression. That's when your thoughtfulness results in in fear. Anxiety of this nature, worry of this nature, is really nothing less than torture. For now you are bound in a body that can only anticipate that the worst is coming. And you live bound in this body and all you can project into the future are images of despair about the future. We need a word from the Lord this morning to remind us that Jesus Christ did not come to build his kingdom on the anxiety of troubled people. That is not what he came 
to do. He came to make himself to be a king for the very opposite purpose, to take away our anxiety. And it doesn't matter what field you are going into. Man, we just got back overseas and we talked to missionaries in five different cities and missionaries in five different cities, all of them plagued by the temptation to worry, looking at all the people in their regions to reach and worried are their strategies, are their attempts, are their ministries, are they going to work? Living in apartment complexes, worried are their neighbors ever going to accept an invitation to come over? Worry. And you don't even have to be a missionary. You could be in this building today. You're worried about, am I going to get married? Will I be married? To whom will I be married? And these thoughts of future, what if, become debilitating to the point that you can't function. Jesus Christ came to free you from living in fear, anxiety, about a future which you cannot control. It's very interesting when you read this 10-verse passage on um, fear, It comes right on the heels of Jesus' teaching on money. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he would just have told his audience in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. And he said, I'm talking about money. And then he says, therefore, do not fear. So I think Jesus would pretty much identify the majority of people in Spartanburg, maybe in this church, that the thing we most deal with in life is our fear. When we talk about the future, what do we fear most of is how is it going to work out with our money? Probably that's what we lose trust in God the most, but I imagine there are some here who are worried about things other than money, so we won't we won't narrow the discussion down to just money, but understand that is the context of his words. So Jesus gives us eight reasons in Matthew chapter 6 not to worry. Number one is life is more than food and clothing. Number one reason not to give a, live a life of worry, life is more than food or clothing. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, I stared at this verse for a long time this week, and I'm still not quite sure I understand it. Narrowed it down to two interpretations. I'll share with you the first one, and and, uh, on stage, I'll go through my mind of whether or not I want to go to interpretation number two. I haven't settled which one I think it is. So, uh, biblical interpretation in seminary, they'll always teach you go with the easiest, most straightforward one. So, you look at that and say, "Life life is more about what you eat or what you drink. So if we go with that interpretation, we would say that life is... Why do we get so obsessed with what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear? Well, that's because how we stay alive. That's why we're obsessed with that. If I put food in my body so I could stay alive, and I put clothes on my body to, to shield myself from exposure so I won't die... 
So simplest explanation would be, why does Jesus say, don't worry about what you eat or what you wear? It could be that he is saying, don't have as the goal of your life staying alive. Because that's not the goal of life. The goal of life should never be staying alive forever. The goal of life should be enjoying God forever. So that could be interpretation number one. Another reason I think he talked about clothes could be, and in, in all in this first umbrella of interpretation, is why would we con- be concerned about clothing? Because when we put clothes on our body, that is a way that we can alter what others think about this body in this world. If I can purchase better clothes, I can up just a little bit what people think about this body. I can increase my the praise I receive fame, I receive attention, I receive depending on what kind of clothes I wear. So maybe Jesus is saying life is more. First he said life is more about living forever. Maybe second he's saying life is more than wondering what people are thinking about you and fame that you are receiving, admiring looks, admiring compliments. Maybe he would be saying that you would be more concerned about what is your heart clothed with? Is my heart clothed with the holiness of God? Is my heart clothed with compassion? Is my heart clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ or is my heart clothed? Have I gone once again into the wardrobe of self-righteousness and have put on my heart garments that let people know, let people think that I'm living a better life than I am and therefore I am content with self-righteous works that cause you to be deceived into thinking I'm living a better life than I am. Jesus said, don't do that. Is that what he's talking about? My garage door broke this week, and my garage man came over and fixed it, and while he was fixing it, he said to me, he was putting the springs on the door, and he said, you know, if the Lord told me these were the last springs I was ever going to put on a garage door, and I was to lay my tools down, and tonight I was going to go see Jesus, I would think that would be the greatest trade in the world, to lay down my tools, and to lay down the money that comes from this business, and to be in the presence of God. I think I would have lost nothing. I think that would be a far better trade. So maybe that's what Jesus is saying here. Life is more than garage doors and money we earn from our businesses. Life's more than food and clothing and all the things we obtain from our businesses. When we were in India a few weeks ago, we visited one missionary family, their daughter, was very creative, and she loves words. 
And so on the wall of her bedroom, she had plastered hundreds of sayings that she had gotten off the internet, some that she had done by hand, some that she had printed, and she, she had made an entire wall out of words. I was particularly drawn to this saying. There's no way I was born to just pay bills and die. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Life is more than just paying bills and dying. But maybe he's saying something that takes a little bit more thought. Life is more than food and clothing. Maybe, maybe when you go back to that phrase, life is more than food and clothing, maybe you could understand it by, maybe I'll go back to that verse so you can see it. Let's see. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Remember, Jesus is trying to put forth an argument in Matthew chapter 6. Trust God. He's trying to tell you, trust God. Maybe, I think this may be the better argument, to be honest with you. I think he's saying here in the first part, maybe he's saying, whether you like it or not, you have to. Because you have to trust God with the very biggest thing in the world, and that is you now possess a body that was placed on earth not by your choosing, but by the, by the design, choice, and fabrication of God. And there's nothing more important than a body that's been created by God. That body is far more important than the food you put in it and the clothes you put on it. So if you're going to have to trust God who, who, who chose that you would have this body that's going to live forever, if, you gotta, if you're obligated to trust God for your body's existence on earth, then go ahead and trust him for the lesser things of food and clothing. If you've got to trust him for the big thing that you're here, trust him for the little things that he'll take care of the body that he designed by giving you food and clothing. He could be going there. I just couldn't make up my mind which one. So you decide, let it sift, and see which one you think. Number two, why not worry? Don't worry because you're more valuable than the birds that God feeds. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than than they. Now, the one thing that we look at birds, we can, you, know, you can't look at this verse here about God feeds them. You can't look at birds and say that they're lazy. They are up before you are up, and you know it because you hear them singing. You're still deciding whether or not you're going to participate in that day. And they've already made a decision. They're up, they're working, they're gathering leaves, they're gathering straw, and they're doing it with a good attitude. They are singing, and they're looking for worms. A, no man can ever match the work ethic of a bird, and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they know nothing about shutting down the office. They're still working. You can hear them at night. They're still working. So you can't say this is a justification for being lazy. 
Jesus is just saying, even in all of their working, it is God that still makes their success possible because he provides for them. And the reason, the way he makes this point is by reminding us that birds have no ability to affect tomorrow. It's a very important point. Birds can work very hard for today, but birds don't have any capacity to like build a worm factory and therefore manufacture 100 worms that will be available for the next week. They can work as hard as they can today, but tomorrow they have to rely on God. So they work hard, but they have to trust just as hard that they'll be able to work just as hard tomorrow. The birds have taught us that God can be counted on for tomorrow's needs just as he was counted on for today's needs. But there's another difference between um, men and birds, and that is that birds don't have this thing called faith. Look at this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, store away. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It's interesting how Jesus says it. He does not say their heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Why does he not call them their heavenly Father? Because they have no faith. They have no capacity for faith. They don't believe God. They glorify God simply by instinct. They gather straw, they gather feathers, they gather leaves. They glorify God by being birds. But they do not glorify God by saying, I trust you for tomorrow's worms. Or I trust you for yesterday's leaves. They don't, the word father never comes out of the mouth, beak, beak of a bird. But the word Father, by God's grace, can come out of our mouth. In other words, we look at the birds and we learn from the birds. And from the birds, we develop faith in the Father who feeds the birds. And on their behalf and our behalf, we say, Father in heaven. You do feed all that you make. And that's why we choose with the birds not to worry. But we choose. They don't choose. We choose faith. We choose that God will provide for us as he's provided for the birds. The birds are inferior to us. They work hard every day, but they have no capacity for faith. So we're inferior, we are superior in that capacity. We have faith. The birds work hard, but they have no ability to influence the future. Can't make worm factories. We have the ability by God's grace to influence the future. Through work, planning, building plants, we can build worm factories. 
widget factories, candle factories, car factories. We can influence the future. We're superior in every way. Therefore, if God cares about inferior creatures, birds, he will carry, or carry about far more superior creatures, people. That's the point. Number three, anxiety accomplishes nothing. Verse 27, <clears throat> can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? It's a very simple, simple practical argument. Worry is <clears throat> useless. It doesn't matter <clears throat> if I'm on my way, which I often am to Hope Point, and we start at 10 o'clock, and I'm often in the parking lot at, at 9.54, and I wish I were here at 9.44, 9.34. It doesn't matter what I wish. It's 9.54. Cannot change. I'm 5.9. Doesn't matter whether I wish I was 6 feet. I cannot change. I can't worry I can't worry five, nine to six feet. I can't worry the change. I can't worry. I can't change the past. I can't change anything about 2018. How about that? I can't change anything about 2018 about through worrying. It is useless. So God is pro-work. He is pro-problem solving. He is not pro-sitting around on your butt while an unresolved situation needs to be resolved. <clears throat> but there are many instances which more work will... <clears throat> there, I mean, there are many instances where more work will solve a problem, but there are no instances where more worry will solve the problem. This is what McLaren says. I love this quote. What you can influence by work, do not worry about. Love that. What you can influence by work, do not worry about, for you can work. What you cannot influence by work, do not worry about, for the worry will not help the work. So you need to preach to yourself that I can accomplish nothing, by help, nothing helpful with my anxiety. It's only going to make the situation harder. This is a useless emotion. And I will not be mastered by a useless emotion. I want you to imagine if you had a friend who called you once or twice a week and said, Hey, can we get together for coffee? I feel like I've had these friends before. And, and every time you got together with them and you left that friendship, you just left feeling negative. They just sort of told you about things that could go wrong with whatever you were dealing with. I mean, sometimes people do that with church about how things could go wrong with the building. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. But, you, but we got people in our life that just imagine, we'll do an imaginary friend, how bad things, just imagine an imaginary friend who came and when you invite them Two hours a week, they're going to talk to you about how things might get bad with your job one day, how things might get bad with your kids as they age, things might get bad with your health as you age, 
and, they, they, and you meet with them twice a week for about an hour, how long would you let that continue and do coffee with them? I hope not long. Yet when we worry, we are inviting that friend to come have a conversation with us and to tell us all the ways that things could go wrong. It is ridiculous. It's not a friend. Anxiety is not a friend. It's an enemy to the peace of your soul. Number four, God cares for short-lived flowers. He cares much more for eternal souls. Verses 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? And again, Jesus wants you to learn by looking at nature. Are you a lover and a looker of nature? I love nature. I stare at it all the time and just marvel. I am I, I do, I tell everybody, I think I stopped growing at nine years old, and I love it. I just marvel at nature. I love rain and spiderwebs, and I love flowers and dogs. And I hope you love nature. Jesus wants us to look at the beauty of creation and to see that it was fashioned by one who is loving and generous and more royal than any king who's ever lived. So when we looked at the birds, what did we see? We saw a kind God who worked for birds even though they had no ability to influence their future. Now here's what he wants us to see when we look at flowers. How valuable they are, how he constructs them with unusual design, elaborate design, grand artistic color, and yet some of them will only live a day and then they will die and they'll be gathered up by some woman in his time to be used to help start a fire in her clay oven which will help her cook um, the evening meal in her house. And she's using those beautiful flowers that God designed as fuel. So here's the point. Flowers in the field are special to God. He constructs them, he paints them, and they only last a day. So how much more Since you are eternal, does he care about the details of your life? If he cares about a one-day flower, surely he infinitely cares more about an infinite soul. So trust him, trust him, trust him. Cares for flowers, infinitely more he cares for everlasting people. 
Someone may protest at this point and say, God has not ordained me. Look at my body. You may have images right now in your head of people whose bodies are not beautifully ordained. You might be thinking right now of a body who is not beautifully ordained. Maybe a a Christian here in this world. Maybe a, a poor Christian overseas. And I would submit to you, they have been perfectly clothed this day by, by the God of the flowers, by the God of eternal souls. They have been perfectly clothed in order to do the will of God that he wanted them to accomplish on earth. And after they carry their heavy cross, which is torn through their human shell and clothing, God will fit them with a kingly robe. Their clothing is coming. If you belong to Christ and you're clothed with His righteousness, He will clothe you soon with a resurrection body that can never be taken from you. If you belong to Christ, you will eat every day In heaven at Christ's banquet table, you will never hunger for anything again. I think this is why Jesus made this extreme statement in Luke chapter 12. Oh, I thought I had it. I didn't. I'll just read it to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, Luke 12, 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Let me read it again just so you can see it in your head. Luke 12, 4. I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I sent this verse yesterday in a text to a dear friend in Boston, Massachusetts, who asked me to pray for one of their best friends in life, 28-year-old girl. Squamous cell carcinoma has now surrounded their friend's esophagus, eliminating breathing, eliminating swallowing, everybody's trusting God for what they thought was going to be healing. And this is what I wrote. I said, look what Jesus says in this dramatic statement. Yes, there are those who can kill our bodies. There are cancer cells that can take away our life. There are economic downturns that can take away our livelihood. There are storms that can take away our houses. There are all sorts of forces that can take away all sorts of things. But if you belong to Christ, that's all they can do. Jesus will never let them take away your eternal clothes. He will never let them take away your eternal seat at his table. Jesus will never let them take away your eternal satisfaction. He has given you an immortal inheritance, untouchable, kept in heaven by him for you. So if we lose everything on earth, and eventually we will, in that moment we will know what Paul meant when he said, to live is Christ and to die is Gain. Number five, why not worry? 
Anxiety is the coping mechanism of the unbelieving world. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. His argument here, don't worry, because that's what worldly people do. And please, don't be like the world. This is how worldly people respond to pressure. They worry. If you were to walk down Wall Street today in New York City and ask people, or tomorrow when, when Wall Street's open, and ask them, do you believe that God cares for every single detail of your life? Or you were to go to the, the equivalent of that, the square mile in London, the business district there, and ask, do you believe that God cares for every detail of your life? People would either ignore you, laugh at you, or just plain out say no. The world does not believe that God cares about the details of your life. And that's why the world worries. And that's why the experts in the world work and work and work and work and worry as they work because they do not believe there's a God in heaven that is sympathetic toward the pain of man. So they take matters in their own hand because they do not have faith in the reliability of God. And when we worry, we are like the world and saying we do not believe God is reliable. We're just like unbelievers. Anxiety puts us on the same level as unbelievers. Worry is nothing less than a failure to believe that God is trustworthy, and that's why it's no small sin at all. If you're, let me just tell you this today. If you're worried right now, if you're worried right now about something, I'll tell you why. I say this, I say this, this is straight out of my book. This is straight out of my diary. If you are worried right now, it is because you have become distracted from God as your first love. And some earthly treasure has become dominant in your life and the greatest horror you can imagine is not the obtaining of that earthly treasure. And that's why you're worried. That's why I'm worried. The common tendency of the worldly heart is to overvalue worldly treasure. Number six, your heavenly Father knows what you need this is the antidote to the previous principle. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Not much to say about this other than the, great the description of God in verse 32. He is a heavenly Father. Father means what? He's thinking about you all the time because he's a father. If you have a teenager... You try to go to bed when their car's not in your driveway. They're, heck, you try, Lisa's in nursery, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> you try to go to bed when they're 24 and they're not home until 2, 3, 4 in the morning. 
And maybe they, may they be slapped with heavy-duty feathers. Man, they drive you crazy. Because you're a father. He's a father. This is why you don't worry. He knows what you need. a father looking at you. So number one, he is sympathetic. But he's a heavenly father, which means he's sovereign. He's not on this earth. He's in the control center. He has rule over all power and has access to all resources. This is why you shouldn't worry. That's your that's your resource in life. A father who is concerned about all the details of your life. A God who has access to all resources and has rule over all powers. Number seven, God will supply everything you need to bring honor to do his will. Man, I couldn't wait to get to this verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the key to anxiety. This is where the whole um, this is where the whole chapter got positive. This is the antidote to all worry is just getting reoriented and saying, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ rather than living in fear of what might not happen or might happen. I'm going to stretch out my hands toward his hand toward his kingdom, and I'm going to look at only one thing, his face. I'm only going to seek one thing, his heart, Jesus first. And I'm telling you, there is no other antidote to worry other than seeking first the kingdom of God and finding pleasure in his agenda. (laughs) That is crazy. That is so not supposed to be there. I saw it come up. I have a little confidence monitor. I went, oh, boy. Because I just, I just, I got a picture this morning because I enjoyed watching, I enjoyed watching last night the Indianapolis Colts dominate the Houston Texas, Texans uh, in, the, in the playoff game. Uh, and, um, but the, the, the better story is the backstory of the whole game, and that is the head coach of of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but let me just tell you. This is his first year with the Colts. They lost the first five of six games, and there's only been, in the whole history of the NFL, only three teams to ever make it to the playoffs after losing the first five of six games, or really the first third of your season, ever make it to playoffs. And Frank Reich's season He's known as the comeback kid because of his time at Maryland and his time with Buffalo. He's quarterbacked some great comebacks, and now he's coaching a great comeback. But after he quarterbacked one of Buffalo, they lost, you know, four times in the Super Bowl. One of the worst poundings, I think a Super Bowl 27, they lost like 52 to 17, Super Bowl 27. They got pounded in Pasadena. And on the, on the flight back, Frank Reich was sitting in his plane saying, God, how could you let that happen? You know, we just had this great comeback in the playoffs, and now we get embarrassed in the Super Bowl, and he was doubting everything. And you know what brought him back and got him out of this state of anxiety? He put on some headphones and started listening to Michael English's version in Christ Alone. 
And, and fortunately, these words didn't get messed up. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In Christ alone will I glory, for only by his grace am I redeemed. Only his tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. Now I seek no greater honor than just to know him more. And he got his peace back because he got his agenda back, was to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. He got his priorities right. And he got his peace back as a result. And finally, and I'll just say briefly because this is self-explanatory, God will meet your needs forever by his, but God won't meet your needs forever, but his strength comes one day at a time. Why not worry? Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me just read you a few lines just so you make sure you understand what's that. To load up today's emotional cart with trials that have not yet arrived will overload today's emotional cart. You have enough strength when the evil comes to deal with it then. You do not have enough strength to deal with present evil and the evil that you are worried about. The more you worry about the future, the less power you have to influence the future. Anxiety is always wrong, but anxiety about things that have not yet happened, that's insanely wrong. Don't bring next week's battle or next year's battle into today's battle. You simply don't have enough strength. God will not give you enough strength if you start messing around in your head with next year's battle today. Let me just close by saying, when you read these statements by Jesus Christ, don't dishonor him by saying that he's naive. Don't dishonor him by saying it was easy for him to say. When Jesus Christ said, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you what you need, remember, he followed his advice all the way to a cross. He sought the kingdom of God. All the lashings of that Roman whip on his back. He trusted God that God would give him strength to endure that suffering. And for every second that those nails held his hands to the cross, he trusted God. That God would provide strength to keep him on the cross. And for the entire time that they mocked him on the cross, he trusted God that when they laid him in the tomb, God would raise him from the dead. And for the entire time that he laid on that cold stone piece of granite rock, he trusted God that he would be given all of his glory and fame and fortune and power back and he would be placed back in heaven at the right hand of God, restored as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he was. So don't think that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about when he says trust God. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's the only one who's lived on this earth in the midst of pressure that you and I will never know.
He's the only one that's lived and never lost his peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace that is ours, promised by a heavenly Father, purchased by a bloody Messiah and a resurrected King, placed in our hearts by an ever-present Holy Spirit, nurtured in our souls by the ever-active Word of God, stirred up by the preaching of Scripture week by week, encouraged, O God, by the companionship of of the church. And one day, Lord, made perfectly clear, honored, rewarded, as our faith becomes sight. Until then, Lord, we, we want to be done with being disabled, choked, torn in two, terrorized, imprisoned. We want to be set free, Lord, from all the terrors of worry and anxiety. And Father, we, we confess that 2018 was not great for us in some areas. This week has not been great for us in some areas. So we give you those areas where we're not trusting you, where we're fearing, worrying, money, health, relationships. Oh God, for every area of life that is producing anxiety, we reject it as being Lord of our life. And we say that you're the Lord of our life. And we cry out to you, Jesus. We cry out to you. We reach out to you. We will trust you today. We grab hold of your hand and we walk and place your into your kingdom, your kingdom first. Seek first. We seek first. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Your kingdom first. Your future is best. I trust you. I trust you. A God who loves the birds, a God who loves the flowers, surely loves me more, far more than this beautiful creation. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.